Podcast name played nobody. First official podcast of the long, desperate off season. Uh, Bill, we we got scared and we immediately decided we, we needed help on this journey. <laughs> um, so we'd like to welcome our first ever guest. Um, we're terribly unprepared, um, but he's going to help us um, vamp for at least forty five minutes about um, a small liberal arts program uh, that has some intramural athletics in the Midwest. Um, Please welcome. Uh, I'm just. I'm going to kill the intro, Ramsey. How, how? What is your title at Eleven Warriors? Founder, right? No, I am not the founder. I am. Uh, I am executive editor, and I own the site with a couple other guys. Ladies and gentlemen, the not founder of Eleven Warriors. Please welcome Ramsey. And we we have applause here. Bill will put that in a post. I sure, promise. sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, what what a warm welcome! You. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We, well, we know exactly what we're doing here. Well, um, we've officially played somebody now. Yeah, I guess we have. So, Ramsey, my first question, um, because this is the only way I know how to do it, having um, been professionally raised in, in SEC country, is uh, is to ask you about your rival school's ex-coach. And so what in the what in the world do you think of Brady Hoke going to Oregon? <laughs> I think it's a great fit for him. I didn't mean to start this off with a well, actually, but... <laughs> That he he uh, he was Michigan's defensive line coach in the '90s. He he caused me lots of pain. Uh, the the cue should be that I talked about the '90s, which was the darkest successful period I think any any college football program's ever had. When you win every game except for you know the one that matters most, and a large part of that was Brady Hoke, a position coach. He uh, as a coordinator I think is less daunting than he is a head coach for his skill set. So if you put him into the Oregon culture with what he knows how to do with recruiting and developing a defense, I think it's going to work out. I just like that he hasn't actually been a defensive coordinator since he was Yorktown High School defensive coordinator in 1982. It was all linebacker and D-line and then straight to head coach. Why do you got to diminish Yorktown, man? I'm just, you know, you know, they're no longer the last place on the list, so it, it hurts them. I believe they were called Hoketown when he was there. <laughs> I hope. I hope. Um, wow, look at you two just vamping. Okay. Uh, Ramsey, explain to anybody and everybody outside of the Ohio State sphere what this season meant coming off of the national title, coming off of um, – I guess, justifying Urban Meyer's rebuild of the program, um, you know, breaking the SEC streak, reestablishing the conference, reestablishing your own program. What did this season mean? You, you basically come, you know, a, a field goal away from having a chance to do it again. So, yeah, technically it's a disappointment, but it, uh, I, I'm just kind of curious. You're, you're cycling out some talent. This was supposed to be the crest year for the, for the one set of, of guys, Bosa being the most prominent. Um, I don't really want to ask a now what question, but what is the now what in Columbus? Well, this was I mean, the first part is that this was supposed to be a victory lap. And in some sense it was, uh, they, they figured out, you know, the first seven, eight games, they could just trot out, play, you know, put on the uniform and, and beat just about anyone they played. And then Michigan state happened. It didn't work out so well. Uh, they, they easily played their poorest game. I mean that from, the coaching, the strategy to just how they executed, it was just a holistic failure. And they still lost the game with no time left. If, if you look at it from that perspective, I mean, there's no real consolation. They were that good that their one loss, they, they 
weren't really losing until the game ended. Um, they woke up. They moved um, Ed Warner into the box to be more of a, a focused play caller, and they just mauled two teams that you want to see mauled when you're an Ohio State fan uh, <laughs> in succession. So that'll probably never happen again, getting Michigan and Notre Dame like that to uh, end the year. And that should make you happy. And I'm old enough that, that like, I get why that's awesome. Um, but because where we started, this being a victory lap, uh, it just was the wrong destination. Um, they, they wanted to get to Glendale, just not, not the way that they did. Right. Um, how – you didn't go to the bowl game. game. I think, I think okay, the last, the last time, time the three of us were actually uh, IRL together was at a expedition function in December. I think you said, said you, got, you, you, you were not going to go to the Fiesta Bowl. Is that correct? That correct? I did not go to the Fiesta Bowl. I have perfect Fiesta Bowl memories. I was there when they beat Miami in huh. 2002, That's, and I don't but, know if I could ever go back because it would just sully you know, how, how, that, how that night went. No, I went to the Pinstripe Bowl but, instead. I stayed local in Manhattan. Nice. <laughs> I um Ohio State caught me off guard um, this year simply because you know they they were just kind of messing around early on uh, the Indiana game they kind of got away with one they they waited a little too long to hit the well they almost too long to to hit the gas in that one but once they killed Penn State I thought okay well it's it's over now they've they they're they're in fourth or fifth gear um, from here on out they they should be good. Uh, and then three weeks later or four weeks later, it, it came, you know, and it was weird. Uh, the conditions were weird and it was cold and all that. But that was still just the, uh, a strange, strange game to watch. It was really weird. Um, I was at the Penn State game and they started Cardale in that. And then they shifted to Barrett. And that's when the uh, tempo took over. And, and you started to see what, what the team was supposed to look like. It was the first mm. time they had an identity. I went to the right. Rutgers game. It was all Barrett. And they just hummed. They did what you're supposed to do to Rutgers. And then he had a few drinks and got behind the wheel. And that sort of disrupted the – they were starting to get a nice flow at that point. It, it kind of fell apart. Uh, Cardale started against Minnesota, and they, they, they kind of did that thing again where you saw a glimpse of how good they could be, but it just – it was just disjointed. It, they couldn't figure out what they – who they wanted to play like, like the team that ended the season last year or the one with Barrett. So then Michigan State shows up. At noon, it's a perfect day. It was uh, probably 50 degrees, no end. At 3, it was blowing in every direction, freezing and raining. Had that been a noon game, I don't think uh, we'd be having this horrible, yeah. horrible remembrance. <laughs> um, so, you know what? There, there are no excuses. They, uh, <laughs> they blew it, man. They, they, were still, they were still incredibly good, but... They, uh, they, they squandered a chance to repeat, I think. Well, I want to get back to the important stuff, which is all the, the non-football, non-numerical, um, just <laughs> pure fan disposition <clears throat> stuff, all right? The really important things. So uh, let's go with – all right, my first question here is, is it possible for the Ohio State fan base to recognize what Michigan uh, rebuilding under Harbaugh does for the benefit of the league? Yes. Do you feel like – enough Ohio State fans have accepted that in, in, in terms of the bigger picture? Uh, I think the ones that were born that don't remember seeing Eddie George play in 1995 because they were either uh, not lucid or... <laughs> in utero? They, they don't appreciate... Uh, I think you can look online and see the history, and you can read up, and before every Ohio State-Michigan game, there's a montage of all the usual suspects that informs you that this is much more important than what you remember over the last few seasons. 
if you are you know, intellectually ambitious enough to accept that, then yeah, they have to, they have to get that, that Harbaugh is, is going to be the line of descendancy to Bo Schembechler from the original split from Woody Hayes. You've now got touch points from, from 80 years ago to present day, and it's all coming together with Harbaugh from Bo and Urban, who coached under Earl Bruce, who, of course, succeeded Woody Hayes. Um, you, if you don't get that, then you're trying not to get that. Okay. Well, does that mean that the, the drubbing that took place this year was that much better because there had been such a year-long infatuation with Harbaugh coming back to college, with coming back to a brand like Michigan? Um, 42 to 13, I believe was the final. And I definitely, I was on the road and definitely checked out on the radio for that last, uh, quarter of play because it was just so dominant. It, uh, yeah, well, it, it was, it was pretty close into halftime, which, which happens frequently you rarely see the first half of these games, uh, get sideways for, for anyone. But, uh, so the first answer is yes, it was gratifying because of all the parallels that had been drawn to 1969, which was Bo Schembechler's first year in Ann Arbor. It's still widely regarded as the greatest Ohio State team to never win anything. That They were the defending national champions from 1968. They used to say that the only team that could give them a, a game in 69 was, was Ohio State's backups. They lost at Michigan, first-year coach, when, when Bo came from uh, Miami. So that parallel thing blowing up in the second half of the 2015 game was incredibly gratifying, but Michigan was, and you don't want to, you know, everyone gets injuries. Ohio state was, was riddled with them this year as well. Not, not like last year, but they, they dealt with a fair bit of guys that weren't expected to start Michigan, the center, the middle of their defense was gone uh, by, by that time, the, the first half, they kind of held their own. And then it was just what was supposed to happen in the second half. Their linebackers are bad. The defensive line was beat up. And they just Zeke and Barrett them to death, and that was going to happen. Yeah, the the 1969 parallels were kind of spooky for a while there. Uh, yeah, you know, right from the you know losing the season opener, I think in '69, Bo lost to Missouri. I, I don't think that I know it because I'm a Missouri guy and we brag about it. But um, the, you know, so then you know they catch fire in the middle part of the season and and end the the perfect season late. But then Michigan does get banged up and start, suddenly gives up you know, 26 points to Minnesota and 41 to Indiana and then Ohio State loses. So I was, I was ready to write that column. I was, I had it half in my head already. Um, me and everybody else in the world. Uh, but yeah, that kind of, that kind of went, the, November changed that a, a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to ask just to branch out a little bit on the, on the, on the thesis there and stop asking you about Michigan, even though it's really fun to do <laughs> um, because Ramsey's a very educated Ohio State fan who can, who can lay his, he can put his jabs in very, elegantly and creatively which is if any of you are engaged in a bit of rivalry step your game up just don't don't hurl profanity dude you know you can do that too but you know yeah make it classy okay uh so to the big 10 itself i was at the rose bowl i talked to a lot of iowa fans i have uh interviewed uh jerry denardo a guy i absolutely love talking to from the big 10 network former indiana coach former lsu coach former vanderbilt coach um and we've kind of been running with this theory that I, I press against Bill's number sometimes that the Big Ten itself needs that the 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 the, the butt in the ass in to start carrying a little bit more weight in terms of the conference schedule. Is this something I'm just curious? To, is this something in Eleven Warriors that you guys talk about that your readers talk about that Ohio State fans in general talk about? Because you have a program that 
really, and, and maybe you, you tell me if I've got the SEC perspective too strong here. I think the second they beat Nick Saban's Alabama last New Year's Day, everyone shuts up, puts them at the very top of college football as, as the elite program, one of the elite programs. So you have that in the Big Ten. You have Harbaugh come in and, and you know everything, the trajectory looks right. You have the workmanlike, disrespected, whatever, Michigan State program. Then you have this really uh, kind of hazy middle and, and back end. Is this something that Ohio State fans talk about in, in that, you know, Indiana is a very bad example, especially for the Buckeyes this year. But, but programs that are on the low end need to get better in order to make the best teams look that much better. Um, yes, it is something we talk about, and I need to provide some context for, for okay. my answer. I have, a, I have a different kind of background. I, I, I live in New Jersey right now. I grew up in Columbus. I went to Ohio State. I also went to Indiana. I also lived for five years in Iowa City. I nice. lived in Chicago. I've kind of gotten damn whole, you. You are the Jim. You you are the proto Jim Delaney Big Ten consumer. Well, I have all my hair, and uh, I don't look like a muppet <laughs> yet. There's time. Um, the the ass end. Well, we we tend to oversimplify the ass end of the Big Ten, and it uh, it really started happening after 2006 when the Big Ten Network launched. And I'll use this here as an example. You have the Big Ten ends up going five and five in bowl games. Um, the, the two very, I mean, you saw one in person, the Rose bowl was, was a bit of a catastrophe. Michigan state, uh, got sideways really quickly with Alabama, but they still, you know, they, they won five other games and only lost three. They, they split it and you sit around at 11 warriors or just as an Ohio state fan, if you're paying attention to the finances, cause it's now, you know, this, the third season along with recruiting in the actual game, who's making the most money and you see Purdue getting the same check that Ohio state's going to get <laughs> uh, after the postseason, It's, it's, it's pure socialism in the big 10. And I know what Ohio state does with their money. I know what Michigan and Michigan state do too. I know what Iowa's starting to do. Um, Indiana's even right. starting to spend money. Um, I'm not sure what Purdue is doing. I know they're building a little glass patio in the visitor end zone. <laughs> like I saw, I saw the mock-up like that's where I sat when I went, <laughs> when I see Purdue. Um, that and that's only once every couple of years or so back in the pre legends leaders era. I, I, I feel like a lot of these uh, athletic departments aren't spending the money to hold up their end. And Purdue, they just their defensive coordinator was coaching high school last year and he was an assistant coach. They're, they're not, it's not a destination. And I think they're keen on, on staying that way. Uh, Minnesota. I, I know they went with continuity with with Clay's after Kill retired abruptly. That's that's not going to last very long. <laughs> um, there there are some there are some parts of the normal distribution curve that are content with staying where they are, where the Big Ten power structure is concerned. the The ass end is not going to hold up its end of the bargain. I think you might see some shifting. Illinois is not going to do much. If Indiana can get someone to coach their defense, they could be that surprise team. That's the one I would look at. By the way, I'm digging around the bottom of the, uh, and I'm sure Bill could just do this from memory because he's a robot, but digging around the bottom of the S&P for the final for this year, it looks like Rutgers was the lowest at 105. And I want to say Purdue, and then maybe I think it's Indiana, uh, Maryland. So that's that's what we're talking about when we talk about the very bottom right now. Yeah, um, Purdue yeah, is skewed. Um, they had that one game against Nebraska. Too. That one, if you take out their Nebraska game, which I don't think they know what they did that day, 
they they would be they'd have to be below Rutgers. That's such an outlier. Yeah, that <laughs> there there were some. Um, I mean, the Big Ten I think you know graded out pretty well, and and not only because you know Michigan owned the first half of the season, and and obviously Ohio State was really good. Michigan State was good. Um, but then, you know, it ended up grading out okay because you had 30, 31, 37, uh, 47, 48. So, um, you know, whatever that is, eight out of the top 50. That's not, that's not great, obviously, but it's not terrible. And then you only had two teams that were truly, truly bad from a numbers perspective. Um, but, yeah, that Purdue, I, I was really confused by them because I watched, like, there were three or four games where you could watch them this year and think, okay, they're, they're definitely improving right now. I think I watched good portions of every single one of those games, and every time I didn't, they lost like forty-eight to three. Um, so I don't know what to make of that. that. You know, they they just they they have no identity right now. They're not good at offense or defense. They're not really um, they, they're not strong enough to go power. They they don't seem to know what they want to do. But they kept Hazel. Uh, Illinois kept Beck. Or, no, not Beckman. They they, <laughs> they didn't make that mistake. Keep it. But um, you know, it, it's just um, it, the ambition here is kind of curious to me. I like Purdue. Do you think that well, Ramsey? Do you think that, that those coaching moves, uh, specifically at Illinois and Minnesota, w- was there? I, I just I, I was just at the ASCA, the, the coaching convention in San Antonio, and I know what the sentiment amongst coaches is. But it, do you think it's mirrored in the fan bases? And again, sitting on top of the mountain at Ohio, as an Ohio State alumnus and fan, is it just that those schools were scared to see what their value was in the market? That's what it seems like. I think it's part that and part uh, someone in finance crunched the numbers and made a spreadsheet decision. These guys are a lot less expensive when they become expendable in the next couple of years. In in Purdue's case, I think they've they understand that Hazel is a a culture steward and can make the program uh, really stable if he's allowed to spend some money. I don't mean like spending Michigan or Ohio State coordinator money, but they don't let him. They, they, they don't spend the money. He, he's a great, he's a great coach. He was, a, he's a, like many, we used to call him uh, black trestle when he was at Ohio state. <laughs> um, and, and that's what he could be capable of. But dude, poaching assistant coaches from high school to run your defense, isn't going to get it done. So I, I think Is there a help? I'm sorry. You know, Illinois and, and Minnesota were more finance decisions. Purdue. I think they still can make, they still think they can make the dream happen with Hazel. Um, and they're going to be well coached, but you know, it's, the Joes they get and the guys they have coaching them, right? Yeah. Um, by the way, we just want to point this out again because I'm a uh, Wisconsin went ten and three this year. Yeah. No one knows that. <laughs> I, I, I I don't know if they were under a blackout or or what happened or why none of us in the national media went up there, but uh, they finished ten and three. It was respectable ten and three. Bill, you have them in the thirties. Um, there is a. Ramsey, do you think that there is there needs to be a shoring up of the middle class in the Big Ten, or that there already is a good one and we just don't know it? Um, well, Wisconsin. By the way, it's really hard for me to feed you a question about like is the Big Ten underexposed, but I guess I'm kind of doing that. <laughs> That's fine. Um, Wisconsin opened their season with that loss. Um, when, when, yeah. you, when you open with an SEC loss right off the bat, you sort of get like, well, you know, clearly they're they're not worth anything. And then I don't have it in front of me, but I remember reading last summer, Wisconsin played Iowa, and I think that's it. They had they got nobody on the crossover side. They got the Big Ten West. Uh, Those those ten wins, like I I can't think. I think the best win they had was against Southern Cal in the bowl game, and I don't think they they beat anyone of of note before that. 
the uh, the middle class is fine. That's Wisconsin and, and, and Michigan State, if you want to talk historically. And they both won the conference recently. They've both been in the title game um, the last couple of years. They've actually won the title. They dominated the title game when Ohio State was suspended from it or you know lost in the wilderness after the tattoo thing. Um, th- those are the two that stepped up. Michigan's the one that's not been holding up a cent. Um, Purdue has beaten Ohio State twice as often this century as Michigan has. It's They've beaten Ohio <laughs> State four times. Michigan's won twice since 2000. Ah. The, uh, all right, l- the last question I'm going to ask about the conference, oh. then I'm going to give it back to Bill and we'll get into reader questions and we'll, we'll make it funnier. Ramsey, where is Nebraska in the Big Ten in five years? W- what's going to happen? That was kind of my question. Oh, beat you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with, are you asking me, is this a coded way of asking if Mike Riley is still going to be there? No, I don't think Mike Riley's there in five years, but I, I, I don't. But I also have no idea where the program is in five years. Yeah, they, they, they haven't decided what they want to be in a while. I thought they did with Polini. Like when they went to Bill Callahan, everyone I think agrees that was a, a mistake. And then Solich sort of tried to get them back to their like Nebraska football, to use the italicized, quoted, bolded, underlined term. Um, and that didn't quite work out. I thought Polini was going to be the guy he's just rough around the edges and i'm not sure what riley's going to try to open it up and that's not they're not going to be able to do that with the guys they get in nebraska they 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 can't recruit texas anymore they're not getting california they're getting nebraska guys man you're not going to win anything with that uh i think nebraska is going to continue to be living in the early 70s mid 90s um in five years and i mean that in the most mental masturbation way possible but dude, I mean that 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 phrase that you just said, you know, that they're just getting Nebraska, they're just getting Nebraska guys and not much else, and they have, you know, a distorted perception. That's what we used to say about Iowa until like five months ago. I mean, is is this how far it's it, it's they, they've fallen? Yes, I think it is. <laughs> and and I, I I don't have anything against Nebraska. I grew up enjoying watching them play. I I like option football still. They, uh, they're tough to watch, man. Yeah, I, this was the pure, uh, you know, date the person who's the opposite of the last person you dated higher. Right. And, um, I mean, maybe it'll work. You know, from a numbers perspective, I could certainly point out that they weren't that far behind, like, Iowa in my numbers or anything like that. They lost a bunch of close games, so maybe. But, I, yeah, I mean, every time I got a chance to watch them this year, I just didn't really know, like, where, where do you want this to go? And is it a question of just getting your quarterback in so you don't have to watch – Tommy Armstrong throwing uh, four interceptions to to you know decent defenses or or what? But uh, yeah, it's just really. I mean, it is funny when you. I went to a game uh, in Lincoln, late part of last decade, and that, well, first of all, you're right. They they do not acknowledge Callahan. Like it was it was you know for a Missouri game, and and whoever that was on the radio was talking about how Nebraska really still owns recent history with Missouri because '04 to '07 didn't happen. So it was you know up to '03 and then starting again in '09 or whatever. But, um, I, yeah, I, other than the fact that he's, he's the exact opposite of Pelini, this was a, a baffling hire, and now they have to prove that those close losses um, from last year were just bad luck and not we don't really know what we want to do to win close games. Yeah, nine, nine and three was, is Riley's ce- uh, ceiling, and that's what they were getting fatigued with, right. with Pelini. Yeah, so basically what, it sounds like what we're saying is if Scott Frost at UCF can put together huh. – 16 wins in two seasons, then it's his job. And he'll be able to recruit Florida, and then Nebraska could be interesting. Yeah. UCF is uh, at Michigan in week two next year, by the way. 
Just want to throw that out before we move on. They also play Maryland. A lot of Big Ten in there. Um, okay, so we're going to jump out of this, and we're going to go. Um, let's just go into some more reader questions, which are all very Big Ten-centric. Um, sorry. We're interested if you're not. Sorry. Um, okay, Andrew Sidebottom, at Andrew Side 89 asks, can Chris Ash help New Jersey players uh, – excuse me, can, can Chris Ash help keep New Jersey players at Rutgers despite hiring zero position coaches with New Jersey ties? That's a good question. Yeah, he, he – you know, I think we everyone on this podcast knows that there are, there's the coaching staff, and then there are the satellite coaches that are sort of contacts within different high school leagues. Uh, I imagine he, I mean, he coached at Arkansas, he coached at Wisconsin, came from Ohio State. He knows how to set that up pretty quickly. The worst thing going against him is his former employer, and uh, his former employer's arch rival and Chris Partridge. Um, New Jersey's going to just get battered by Ohio state and especially Michigan um, and, and not going to make it easy for him or really for Dirk and Maryland to, to get uh, uh, tertiary here with the, with the answer. I think both those guys are going to have a hard time locking down the home talent. Yeah. The inheriting that division is, is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. The, the big East bottom is not like, <laughs> man, if you can make it, if you can make it happen there, then you're a good coach. I tell you what, though, it's funny. Our last week's podcast, the la- we just we kind of wondered as we are wont to do, but uh, we ended talking about how wide open the Mid Atlantic is with with the new hires in the ACC and the Big Ten, and uh, we kind of ended it both shrugging at the Bronco Mendenhall hire at Virginia, <laughs> and then of course I, I leave the podcast, I pack up, I go to the airport, and who am I standing behind for fifteen minutes? Bronco Mendenhall. I'm so sure. had a very a very nice discussion, and um, I'm sure he's going to do great things, but. The whole I-95 corridor, when you start with the two Virginia schools and just head north, Ramsey, who do you think in the next couple of years ends up defining recruiting in that area? Do you think Franklin has enough of a head start? Or do you think, I mean, I'm looking at the news you know, today as we record this, and, and Maryland got robbed by Ohio State in recruiting. So can Durkin, I mean, can Durkin or Ash or, or to, I guess, a bigger degree, Franklin kind of stake out of territory and compete at all? Uh, Franklin has to start um, changing his reputation on game day. That uh, yeah. right now he's I think he's a lights out recruiter, um, but the value proposition is lacking on Saturday, and and that that's only you can only play that well. That's why we need you to come here, card, um, for so long. They, they got the sanctions behind them. There's not a lot of patience uh, in college football anymore with so many coaches having won and the second third year that they've that they've been on, on campus. So. Um, if Larry Johnson decides to stay at Ohio State for a while, he still goes down and chooses who he wants from the D.C. area. Um, he very rarely loses out. And when he does, I mean, that <laughs> you, you can just reread your Bagman <laughs> investigation. Um, you start to hear the stories, and you're like, oh, okay, that's not Larry Johnson's speed. Um, I, I, you know, it's going to be the usual suspects. Penn State. Michigan, Ohio State. I think Durkin's going to get his. I just, uh, I think Ash is going to have to start hitting Florida, and getting you know leftovers into talent-rich states that are a little further away, not so hotly contested. Yeah, the Franklin thing really kind of blows my mind because 2012-13 Vanderbilt, all they did was win close games. That's all they knew how to do is keep it close and then make one play and win the game. Um, and it's just been the exact, <clears throat> excuse me, it's been the exact opposite of that at Penn State. It seems so. Um, man, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think, you know, getting all this turnover in the uh, assistant staff might end up being a good thing. 
Well, yeah, they, they also need to figure out what a collegiate offensive line looks like. It's been a while. <laughs> this will be the first time we've gone into a Big Ten season with, I think everybody's going to be clean on sanctions and probations and scholarship limits because once Penn State gets healthy, that's I think everybody's at full strength, right? Yeah. Yeah, this was Ohio State. Unless Rutgers, unless there's a just a pile of dead bodies somewhere at Rutgers, which there probably is. This uh, Ohio State had 85 scholarships this year. Uh, was the first time since 2011. <laughs> Damn, I thought that was like two years ago. Yeah, and then Penn State goes to full strength this year, so you'll actually have a Big Ten operating at total strength for the first time since, gosh, really, you know, I keep, I've, I've always defined what we call the modern era as 92 when the television rights stuff started to change, but I think we may have to, I think here, we're, we're going to have a second age here that we, we define soon. Maybe Bill can do that for us, but um, I might humbly suggest the start of the playoff, honestly. The 98, I've always gone with both coalition and then BCS yeah. in that playoff, yeah. I think honestly, not and not to kiss the ass of our guest here. I think that there's a new. I, I think we entered into something different. Um, the moment we created this playoff, the moment that everyone in college football as a community said, "Okay, let's do this fourteen thing," and then to have the Southeastern Conference streak broken in the way that it was broken, in the game that it was broken, I think that changed the dynamic dramatically because I think it it brought a little more democracy back out to fans that maybe felt disenfranchised by the BCS and by the streak that the SEC was running, fair or not. I mean, some of those, some of the matchups, some years, um, I, I mean, I, I'm sure it's maybe not from an Ohio state perspective, but just anyone in general, just to see an LSU Alabama national title games, a little disenfranchising. Yeah. And then it, and then it was a shit show too. Um, not good football. <laughs> yeah, it football. Was bad. I loved the first game. Um, and it, but that was low scoring. Too. I was there. Yeah. It was, but the second one, I, I, you know, the SEC does a lot of things really well, and their bowl arrangement, their post, I should say, their postseason arrangement is better than anyone else's. They they don't travel all that far from home. They get really good matchups, and uh, I think from an optic standpoint, they they win most of those games in large part because of the better team. But they put themselves in, in position to be the better team. Um, whereas I think the big oh absolutely the Big Ten chases money. Um, they the matchups are secondary. They, they, they end up basically scooting all over the country except for whoever ends up in Detroit <laughs> playing a MAC team, which that, that's, you know, that's going to be a pretty even matchup anyway. Um, so you end up having this, I'm not going to use the, the N word, but you end up having this storyline that shows up uh, after the season <laughs> where the SEC dominated some you know, their, their bowl games. Like, well, you know, you're, you're playing number three in the conference USA or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always going to end up, uh, on the right side and to your point about the playoff it's the great equalizer one versus four two versus three and you you don't get to pick that as well granted it when ohio state played alabama it was in the it was in what we call the sec's rose bowl in in, in new orleans um and, and that's why i think it was a bit of a watershed moment but the rest of the bowl season aside i think you, you talked about getting into a different era they're going to start trying to treat these other uh second tier consolation prize bowl games like their own there's got to be some sort of a game within the game and you're going to start to see more and more of people looking at how the conferences match up and using that to judge you know a larger story what the strength is and it might even extend into regional strength or whatever i mean iowa gets iowa guys nebraska gets nebraska guys if they're able to win in the postseason it almost elevates that entire region not just the, the university where they were playing football from 
And as a numbers person who, you know, hates that we overreact to bowls so much, that makes me really happy. Um, no, so, you know, there, if there, if last year was progress, was there an undoing of some of that this year with, with not only Michigan state getting killed by an sec team and having to be Alabama and then Iowa getting drubbed on the side you know, does that, did it help that Clemson almost beat Alabama to keep the kind of the non sec narrative going a little bit, or did some of this get undone this year? I think some of it got undone because we don't have very good memories. I mean, Michigan state just got housed in their, I mean, they got shut out. They scored as many points as Ohio State did in this year's playoff, which is, is a nice consolation prize. But I, and I'm not looking at it. They, they're, they'd won. They were on a bit of a bowl streak. They had they beat Baylor last year. I remember that in the uh, Cotton Bowl. That was crazy. And then they beat Stanford in the Rose Bowl before that. And they hadn't lost in, in a couple of years. I think they beat a couple other name teams in some second tier bowl games. I have the internet. I should probably just look it up. Yeah, I'm looking at it. TCU, Georgia. Since they had lost to Alabama, they hadn't lost a bowl. Okay, so... All right, I've got, I've got, I've got my own internet question here, so we're just going to say <laughs> it's from at 30 at Godfrey. Uh, and, and Bill, I'm going to ask you first, Ramsey, you can jump in. Last week, or maybe two weeks ago, we talked about the, what we were robbed of um, from, from the bowl season matchups and some of the quirks that are inside this new scheduling when you get out of the playoff. We said, obviously, that Baylor losing to Texas, bumping... Uh, Baylor into the North Carolina game and then not playing Ole Miss in the Sugar, you know, what a game that would have been, especially with this insane revamped, like, triple option from hell thing that Baylor ran. Um, I don't know if that's a bigger crime or if maybe it just because I went there and sat through it, not seeing Ohio State play Stanford yeah. in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that one's the bigger one for me, just, you know, from, from a staff perspective, Ohio State was just – a thousand times better than Iowa, and here now it's an official podcast because I've dumped on Iowa. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I do. I mean, that was you know the feel good story where the dread is on the horizon, like oh man, this is not going to end well, and then it very much did not end well. I think that was a game that um, Stanford Ohio State would have been awesome. I think Ohio State. I, I think they were more balanced. Stanford's defense really wasn't very good, but I'd like to have you know that that would have just been a spectacular game, and and actually. Um, while we're on that, um, I was really confused by uh, an Ivan Mazel column from a few days ago. I like Ivan, and he, he had a thing where he, he heard people, I guess, after the Rose Bowl, mourning that Stanford wasn't in the playoff, and you know, it just it was a, a, a playoff is ruining bowls moment for him, where you know now being winning the Rose Bowl doesn't matter and all that. Um, I mean, the only difference now is that you know you're mourning being number five instead of being number three, right? There's nothing. I don't see why the playoff has really dived into that very much. Right. And five is still elite enough to have a justifiable mourning period. Finishing the top yeah. five, like, you were so close. Ohio State finished fourth this year. Um, <clears throat> you know, wish it would have finished fourth, you know, one, one set of games earlier. The, um, if they extend it to six and have a couple teams with buys or whatever, then seventh is just far. I mean, you're, you're in the back half of the top ten if you're talking about playoff creep. That right now you still have justifiable mourns. I, I get what Mizell's saying with with Stanford. My my remedy to that is don't get crushed by Northwestern. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, that I was just thinking about this. The you know the middle tier, the Big Ten ruined everything for everybody because if you take away the Michigan State win, if you take away the field goal against Ohio State, Ohio State wins the division easily. They go on and kick the crap out of Iowa, right? So then they they're in the playoff. 
So we don't have Michigan State losing a very bad, ugly game that wasn't watched by anybody and kills the ratings on New Year's Eve. Instead, you you possibly get an Alabama-Ohio State rematch, which would have been, even in that time slot, I think does a much larger number. No offense, party. Um, and then you wouldn't have – you may have still had that terrible Rose Bowl, except if Northwestern doesn't if, – if you don't have the uh, body clock adjustment uh, gate. Can't, that, that one's a really hard thing to tag gate to. We'll work on that. We'll workshop that. Um, if Stanford beats Northwestern, see, so it was the middle of the Big Ten that just ruined everything for everybody this year. Because if I tell you right now, if you had a playoff that involves Stanford and Ohio State with Alabama and Clemson, Clemson, I mean, it's a way, way more watchable, way more unpredictable uh, uh, set of games. Yeah, watching that Rose Bowl. I mean, I'm still of the age where the Rose Bowl feels like it's still supposed to be the end all, be all. And watching Iowa in the in the Rose Bowl, and I lived in Iowa when they went to the Rose Bowl the last time. The um, Ohio State special teams are lights out, and watching yeah. Iowa, watching McCaffrey do what he did, like that's the first indicator. Like I, I know Ohio State's you know, much better than Iowa, but watching the what he did on special teams, like uh, this is where this is where the, the most visceral uh, separation takes place right here, and then I mean. That, it was so oh, the ball games were so bad this year, man. I I do love, by the way, that how quickly the universe changes here. We're talking about Stanford as watchable. I love that like kind that, of football, man. I love what Harbaugh installed there. I look, they were so bad at that kind of football on offense last year, though. They were yeah. just dreadful to watch last year, and this year they were just incredible to watch. Turnover, and they got more guys coming in that are probably going to keep that. Shaw's doing a great job there. Yeah, it's kind of funny because we were trying to figure out where I was headed for signing day, and we're kind of making a short list of schools that were, you know, you, you go off, you try and go off the beaten path. You don't go to like Ohio state or Florida state or, you know, a, a, a typical big February winner, but we should have, we should have added Stanford to that list because I feel like they've turned a corner and done something completely different, but um, moving it back. Uh, well, I guess we don't have to stay in the big 10 bill. Um, I think we went through reader questions of all seriousness. Although I do like this one from Oscar Gambler. When will Urban Meyer retire, and what team does he go to when he does? Um, well, <laughs> you go first. Let me man. punch that up to something serious. Seriously, let me punch that up to something serious. Right, in this. What is the timeline, Ramsey, for Urban Meyer in Columbus? How about that? The timeline for Urban Meyer begins with the timeline, I think, for, for Nick Meyer, his high school-aged son. And okay. if, if he's going to uh, – and he, he's a baseball player like his, like his dad – if, if he's going to – I mean, they want to see his baseball games. He goes to Bishop Watterson. If he ends up playing baseball or, or somewhere around the Midwest, I don't think he wants a repeat of having to, you know, travel too far to see Nikki or Gigi when they were playing, you know, doing stuff in college. Um, so you're looking at a – that's six years right there. You got two in high school and then four – I don't know. I think, I think he's a sophomore. He might be a junior. Um, you've got a, a, a really nice window where it's very normal for the Myers where Urban can run, you know, do his dream job and then still see his kids and fulfill that contract he has on the wall in his office. So at minimum, I would say you're looking at six. I still 51. It feels like he's been between 48 and 51 for like nine years now. He just goes back and forth. If I had to guess, I was going to go with He was 51 50s. five years ago and then he went yeah. backwards and then he went forwards again. And, he, and it also bears mentioning that when Saban was his age, Saban had zero national titles. So he, he might have plenty of business to take care of here in the next decade. 
and that stuff means a lot. He's one of those guys who counts. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, my somebody named at Mrs. Bill C um, tried to set me up because she asked, "What is your favorite piece of kitchen equipment?" Uh, I've is that an in in joke? Is that, is that a Connolly House in joke? Uh, well, it, it is as of yesterday because I've fallen in love with my pressure cooker. <laughs> God, Bill, those are great. <laughs> Uh, that's, Go on. I mean, that's the whole story. I, you know, we just, you know, started playing with it, uh, you know, we like once a year, but I, I kind of, I ch- attempted something relatively uh, complicated and it was phenomenal. So, you know, I appreciate being able to set up, uh, being set up to mention that in this podcast. I just favorited uh, All right. Mrs. Bill C's tweet. That, that's, um, that's a great uh, piece of equipment. I'll go with a slow cooker. Yep. Um, I'm going to go with, oh man, slow cooker is a good one. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, anything Lakers say, cause it's impossible for me to damage it. <laughs> I've scratched um, the bottom of our Dutch oven. Actually, it is, it is possible. Yeah. Yeah. My wife had a, one that chipped. All right. I'm going to try and pull this out of the ditch. Um, we were short on actual questions and I'm very disappointed to all of you listening because I asked at a random time on a random night that you didn't immediately jump on the internet. Um, where is we're going to go general for a second and then work back to specific um where is ohio state in the immediate future so where is where is 2016 iowa or iowa state uh, don't answer that um uh, where is 2016 ohio state relative to expectations so how far off is reality from what is being bandied about right now over at 11 warriors well 2016 iowa state is in ames i'll just get that out of the way 2016 ohio state um i think the first three games are going to dictate everything. They get Bowling Green, and then I think Tulsa. But then they go to Oklahoma. They don't get the they don't get the ten week ramp up that they got this past year. And it, it turns out the ten week ramp up was too much. They sort of just, I guess, procrastinated trying to figure out what they wanted to be. <laughs> so you're you're basically installing urgency to be good quickly, and that's when Urban is at his best when he's an underdog when they're a year away. I mean, that's, he wins when they're a year away. Yeah. Um, it's, it's holding off years like 2009 and now 2015, which I mean, ended similar to 2009, big blowout bowl game victory that they didn't really want to be in, but I'll take Notre Dame over Cincinnati. I think, um, we have to start conditioning ourselves to this part in the, the sign curve for Ohio State football, this is the exciting part where it's largely unknown. I mean, the, the guys that are replacing all those guys are going to be millionaires in a couple of months are all supposed to be really good. And they didn't play this past year because the guys who were playing were playing. And that's pretty much the only reason. I love this schedule now that I'm looking at it. Um, yeah, it's way more. I, I will say this. It's, for those of us who are not tied to Ohio State, it's a hell of a lot more interesting. It's yeah. really nice. It's the best one I can think of in, in a long time. And it's going to be, you know, it, it is a situation where an Ohio, a top four level Ohio State team probably goes 11-1 or 12-0 here. Top 10 caliber Ohio State game might be like 9-3. Yeah. So um, some really interesting, to- uh, not toss-up games, but really kind of pivot games there. The ats are tough on the schedule. Yeah. The at Norman, Very. at State College, at Madison, at East Lansing. <laughs> yeah, we'll skip Maryland there. Well, at, at I mean, it's, Park. With, yeah, with the absence of with the absence of Maryland, it's kind of a who's who of like you know college football road trips, but it also means some hellish environments. Yeah, it's um, there's but but they'll be conditioned to big games by the time you know East Lansing rolls around because again. Some uh, some jerk decided to put Michigan State and Michigan back to back on the schedule again. 
What do you? What are Ohio State fans pissed about that? I, I think it's a little weird. Yeah, Ohio State fans are pissed about that because the week that Ohio State plays Michigan State, that's the SEC uh, high school weekend. The the not bye week bye week. In so on Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, that. Uh, that's, hey man, it's called homecoming, all right. Just because just because y'all ain't got traditions. <laughs> it's it's you know what that just like uh, matchups and bowl games. That's a that's a smart move. That's SEC preservation versus. I will a, say it's a not that, that smart move. It may not last too much longer because I think there's been some frustration on the network's part and also on ESPN's part. And when CBS really has to pull to, to put a two thirty game or, or a three thirty Eastern game on and, and there's just no choice and they end up having to do like Mississippi state and Arkansas. Um, I, I don't think that'll last, but it's also, there are a lot of schools that refuse to budge on that. So, I mean, you're not going to see Alabama and Auburn change before their game. You're not going to see, um, you know, Georgia, uh, well, yeah, Georgia, Auburn is the, um, Usually the week before the yeah right. so yeah I mean you you're gonna you're still you'll you'll still have five or six schools doing that I love but. it because you know at that point in the season I've you know my preview my Thursday preview has been like an Alabama game for three straight weeks and that makes sure that I get a little bit of a change in flavor in the middle of November so I'm all for it staying that way forever you got to get up on Charleston Southern and Citadel <laughs> that's true Georgia Georgia messed around this year you know the whole we need an option team before Georgia Tech don't schedule Georgia Southern. Just never schedule Georgia Southern. No, they're actually good. (laughs) (sighs) Got to say this again. I I mean, I just I hate reinforcing this. Actually, I don't because I'm deathly (laughs) sick of and and I'm spitting distance to the Alabama state line. So this is a hell of a schedule. This this Ohio State. I mean, this is a reinforcement of what of what Delaney and those guys want to preach at SEC fans. Uh, I mean, not only do you have the extra conference game, which may not really matter in the wash when you've got both uh, you know Maryland and Rutgers on your schedule, but um, in terms of if you have three non-conference games to fill and you are a power program and you're in, you're in Ohio, then, yeah, you take a really good MAC team from last year. Granted, there's some turnover and a coaching change. Um, you take a, a, a respectable mid-major like Tulsa, and then you, you, you do a Whopper game. And, by the way, hats off to any program like Oklahoma and Ohio State who are still playing these bad boys in their home stadiums. Yeah, OU does a great job. Yes. That's in Columbus uh, 2017. See that, and and one of one just a great memory I have without really any any tie to it, other than having some friends who went to Texas, is is the you know the, the Ohio State Texas one and one. Yeah, you know that's the kind of stuff we got to get more of. So and that was so. the timing on that was so amazing because sometimes you get these yeah, big games. They win in Austin, right, Bill? And then Vince wins in Columbus. Yeah, yeah. and you know, yeah, the the winner of that game went to the national title game both times. Um, yeah, yep. that was sometimes you schedule these games like eight years out, and then one of the teams is way down when the game actually comes. That was perfect. Yeah, cough, Virginia Tech, cough. <laughs> well, yeah, Ooh. although that yeah. was still a split. <laughs> they uh, they teed up the Texas thing again. That's happening in a few years. Uh, uh, Austin and Columbus. Very nice, extremely nice. Yeah, no, I'm sitting here enamored by the schedule. Um, I guess you don't have to, but you do. It, it, it's almost a parallel towards basketball where. You don't want to necessarily guard against a bad conference schedule because there's you, you you can't do that in football. It's not basketball. You don't have that many opportunities to schedule against a bad conference schedule. But when you from from all the intonations made by the committee, intent is such a big part of their consideration that if you do have the Virginia Tech type situation, I think they're going to give you a large benefit of the doubt on that. And when you schedule Oklahoma as as well as you know two other respectable G five schools, um, I it mean. 
you, you know, Ohio State's done the, the best job I think they can do guarding against a, you know, maybe there's a collapse, but I'm, I'm looking at, you know, let's see, we got a new coach at Maryland. We've got maybe Indiana regresses. You've got the Rutgers situation. Who knows what happens at Penn State? Um, you know, Northwestern, Bill, stop me if I get completely wrong or sideways on any of this stuff. But down the stretch, you've got, you know, a Nebraska team that maybe they're seven and five. Hell, maybe they're undefeated. Who knows what's going on there? But until you get to Michigan State and Michigan, you don't have the guarantee. Although, you know what I just did? I just forgot about Wisconsin again. Why does that happen? Yeah, that's, <laughs> the, uh, right. it's, it's hard to predict right in January, and it's hard to predict right. five years out. So part of the fatigue of hearing, I mean, I had to hear a bunch like Virginia Tech, it's a bad loss or a mediocre win. There's nothing good about it. That was that was a really good schedule and move to your point, but what, what – what you lack in the context there is that they came off of home and home against Cal and Cal was scheduled yep. when Cal was peak Cal. And that was another kind of like, Oh, Cal. <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's where it really drives me crazy with the whole schedule and intent thing, because that's one of those terms that means exactly, you know, whatever a, a given committee member wants it to mean. Sure. And, um, you know, they, and, and unless you do have like dates next to these games of here's when this game was scheduled, uh, so the intent was blah, blah, blah. The, we forget half the intent when we're looking at this. And by the way, 22-23, um, Notre Dame and Texas. So well done on that. Wow. Yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a fun preseason. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, no kidding. Um, I'm, fine with the, I'm fine with the intent only because it is, it is, it is uh, aggressively suggesting to athletic directors to schedule better, and that is only going to help the sport. And then I think eventually that with the, you know, there's so many evils that we talk about in this sport, but it's just like with the SoCon Saturday stuff, the, the network involvement is, is going to push the SEC schools away from doing that or else they would all try and they would all try and schedule Charleston Southern at the same time if they could. So in really that, in that Charleston regard, the, com, the committee loves to see these ones and one, one and one, you know, heavyweight headline fights and they don't all have to be in a freaking parking lot in Dallas. Yeah. That, to turn that slightly sideways, um, I, I love – I mean, I, I, I want as many big games early in the season as possible, but I hate the idea of, you know, what your associate SID uh, did four years ago mattering more than what your team on the field does in a, in a given playoff selection. Um, and But, you know, the, the way the committee can look at these games is just not – make sure you're not really punishing them if they lose. If, if Ohio State loses to Oklahoma, um, you know – the fact that there aren't actually rankings at that period in time is a very, very good thing. And so like the reward for scheduling these games should be, you know, packed houses and all sorts of ratings and, and just a you know, big time college football environment that doesn't punish you if you lose where you're eliminated from the playoff in week three. And the, the, the intent side of things really gets blurry in my eyes, but you know, again, I won't complain. You know, the more of these games that are on the schedule, the happier I am. Hey, you know who went a long way towards forgiveness for these pre-ranking games, not to keep bringing up my team, but losing to Virginia Tech on September yeah. 5th. And, I mean, it was a unique perspective to have it. You hear every – I mean, they won the following week 66 to nothing over Kent State, and Kent State's terrible. But they, they kept beating the hell out of teams. And in every recap story, the words Virginia and Tech showed up. You were reminded yeah, – but they lost on September 5th. And then when they slid right. in at the end and then, you know, everyone knows what happened – I think it was interesting this year for some of the early, the early games like what, that that were not layup games. You know, the loser got a bit of a pass, and even 
even Oklahoma losing to Texas, um, you, you started to say, well, well, that was, that was like, you know, Red River shootout was so long ago. <laughs> um, okay. Right. We're now forgiving for playing teams and they have to play each other, but um, that early season forgiveness is something that I think is a byproduct of the, of the playoff and because of how the first one ended up going down. Yeah, okay. the, it, we I've used been, that first one as gospel so much it was hilarious. <laughs> I've been scrolling back through these schedules just to make sure I didn't um, speak a falsehood here. Ohio State avoids the neutral site like the plague. Yeah, right. no, uh, they, got, they got a big uh, they got a big barn they want to put people in. It, it, do you think you'd ever see them in the uh, you know I don't even know what the, this title sponsor is in Dallas it's changed a couple times or do you ever see them going to the Peach Bowl in Atlanta and and playing, you know, Auburn or something like that? Or they just say, screw it, why don't we just go campus to campus? They, they'd rather do home and home. The last time I remember seeing Ohio State play a neutral site game was the kickoff classic in what's now the uh, Giant Stadium parking lot. Um, they played Miami in 1999 and got crushed. <laughs> Other than uh, that, so- it's campus games only. Delaney, I know, has said multiple times he doesn't want his schools in non-Big Ten footprint neutral site games. He wants to avoid that as much as possible. Um, Michigan just played but, in Jerry World. Yeah. Instead of Wisconsin, yeah. But so, so if you're Ohio State, you tell me if this, has any, if, if this is of any interest to the Buckeyes, and maybe it's not. You go to Chicago, and, I mean, it's Labor Day weekend, so you've got, you've got decent weather. So go to Chicago and, and invite, you know, Call Auburn, call Tennessee, or, or call USC, or call you know UCLA or somebody like that. I don't think Soldier Field holds sixty thousand people. That's yeah. that's like an Indiana sized stadium in the Big Ten. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I like this. I like this attitude. I, I'm purely going devil's advocate here. Again, I hate these games, but I'm happy with what they produce. Um, but I'm always happiest when you see. I think um, there's what five or six, Bill. I don't have the I don't have that week one schedule up, but I think there's five or six decent games this year that are on campus in weeks one and two. Um, oh, and by the way, just for the exception, I've said this on the show before, but I always want to reiterate this: if you want to go to Lambeau Field, I support that, and if you want to go to a if you want to go to a NASCAR track, I totally support that. So, <laughs> do, if you want to do something strange, we're, we're down on that. If you want to play in a crappy NFL stadium, no dice. Yeah, I, for the record. I, I totally endorse what you just said. And LSU and Wisconsin play in Lambeau Field. The problem is that game should be in November. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, except there's no way in hell LSU agrees to play that game in November. <laughs> be, I mean, the temperature in that part of Wisconsin in August is like Baton Rouge in September. Yeah, <laughs> let, let me do something. Actually, if you want to vamp for two seconds, I'm going to look up the LSU football roster right now. And see how many cold-blooded guys we got. Oh, like three, two maybe. <clears throat> so you said so. You know, it's vamp time, I guess. Um, vamp for me, yeah. So back to the Saban thing. First of all, I mean, I figure Saban's probably got what four or five. I don't think he goes till he's seventy, but maybe four, five years left. Four or five years um, wins two more national titles, so puts him at seven. You know, if you get to that 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 end of that window, six seven uh, years from now, um, where maybe you're starting to th- wonder if if Urban's gone, if he's within like two of Saban at that point, do you think he goes back into battle for another five years to see if he can can get that, or if it's it's just going to be that you know, if in the end he he parks a, a really high number out there, but it's two or three behind Saban, that's okay. Um, it's it's the answer to that's going to be another question. Who does he care more about, Nick Saban or or Shelly Meyer? 
Right. I mean, that, <laughs> I don't have an answer to that one. I'm, Ramsey, where is Somerville, New Jersey? It's uh, north central New Jersey. We got us a defensive end, Tayshawn Bauer, on the LSU roster. He'll play that game in November. I go to Somerville every day. I was there today. Uh, and then after that, we've got one kid from Cincinnati, a backup tackle, and yeah, and uh, we've got a tight end who looks like a fourth stringer from Cleveland, Ohio. So, no, they are not going to play that game in November. Um, <laughs> even though it would be awesome and we would get snow, we have a, we have a, we have a lack of snow as it is in, in college football. So, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. And I get the elements are swinging both directions. Hot football is difficult. Cold football is difficult. I just enjoy watching cold football more. Uh, I think it looks better on TV. Sweat doesn't really show up in HD. Yeah. If I'm watching on TV, I absolutely agree. Breath shows up on TV. As great. someone who's paid to stand on a field. Yeah, I'll take 20 degrees over, over like 95 and humid every single time. By the way, we've, we're approaching an hour, and, and the word bourbon has not been said yet. I thought, you know, that was, the whole, that, that was one of the motivations here for, you know, we're getting this little trio. Well, we invited we invited him on the show when I was drinking a lot of whiskey. I don't know if that necessarily counts as as a subject matter. Although Ramsey and I do trade pictures of of, of whiskey like as if they are our children sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm drinking a Hirsch Hirsch right now. I wanted to tell you a a Ohio based bourbon that tastes. Uh, if you close your eyes, uh, it tastes like Rebel Yell. <laughs> Really? I don't know how they did that. I, I'm not a big fan of Rebel Yell, but uh, um, that's what I think of when I drink this Hirsch here. It's Monday Night Bourbon. Um, all right. This is my last question. Um, and, it, again, it, it is what it is because I am who I am. Um, I loved loved the T-shirt that came out last year that you guys did, 85 yards through the heart of the South, um, going back to this Ohio State-Alabama game. If you had to speak directly to the SEC fan base right now, of which we have a pretty substantial listenership, um, what what is the why is it so important the game and that play and 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 the the destruction of the perception i mean i don't want to answer the question for you but i hear people talk about that game and that play so much way way more than the national title yeah that was the signature play and i think that's true just about any fan base you have the play that you you talk about before that play before the the zeke first down an 85-yard touchdown run. The play that Ohio State fans talked about was um, fourth down against Purdue in 2002. Yeah. The classic trestle ball game when they couldn't score. Um, they're, they're running off tackle the whole game. Krenzel throws a bomb, touchdown, and, and that's when the light came on and, and people said, you know what, um, this is how Trestle's going to win games. And that was a signature moment, and, th- and you still talk about that play. The Zeke play, so that, that was the play for – 12 years. Uh, the Zeke play, I mean, the, the previous play was a, a third down that Cardell Jones kind of Cardell Jones his way for, I think, first down. He got it by, like, one butt cheek. And Ohio State hadn't done anything a quarter. It, it was starting to turn towards, you know, Alabama's going to start showing all this depth. They're going to – it's going to be a street fight, and they're going to start wearing Ohio State down, and that's what ended up happening towards the, the latter half of the third quarter and then much of the fourth quarter where – uh, J.K. Scott just kept putting him on. He kept punting, and the ball kept going inside the five-yard line, and Ohio State was always in their end zone. And they finally got a first down for the first time in several minutes, and that was the win at that point. But Alabama was still controlling scrimmage. And then the next play, um, it, it, was just, it was just such a perfect – it was actually a messed-up play. So if you, if you want to go into the history of it, 
um, Cardale forgot to motion Evan Spencer to run towards the uh, run run down scrimmage where he was supposed to pick up a linebacker. So the ball gets snapped, and he's still at the top of the play, and he's like, oh, shit, I, I'm supposed to be in motion. He was waiting for the play to start. So he just runs to hit anyone he can, and he ends up accidentally knocking out two linebackers, and that's what sprung the whole play. If JT Barrett's in there, he probably sends him in motion, and, and it's a three-yard gain. <laughs> And then an entire an entire region of the country's message boards just go dark instantly. <laughs> yeah, the average starting field position. Um, I mean, you can learn you can tell so much about you know, just general win expectancy from that. Alabama was plus fourteen. It was Alabama's average at the they were averaging starting at the thirty two. Ohio State was the eighteen. Every single quarter, it was just constant, uh, either because of puns or because of interceptions at like the five. Um, and and the fact that you, that Alabama had a plus fourteen advantage and lost uh, just makes from a stat perspective makes absolutely no sense. It was incredible. Yeah. Well, Zeke had over two hundred yards rushing. They had a pick six. Yeah, they had yeah. some of those things that show up that when you lose and have those things, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've I've watched that game probably twenty five times. <laughs> I would hope. It's funny. That, it, it's funny you say that because I, I, in the off season. I'm tempted to fill the void by going back and looking at Seminole games. And I was there and I don't feel like I absorbed the, the totality of that game and what it meant because again, well, we, we just rejiggered the, the playoffs this year. If, if that game ends the other way, I think I do think after a while you, you break the spirit of a national fan base for a national sport. If it becomes too regionalized and I really, I don't, I mean, I can't, I don't think I can overstate the importance of breaking that streak just for, and, and not, because it meant any anything for the Big Ten so much as it just it, it reinvigorated other parts of the country. Yeah, it did, and I try to keep it. I, I'm a big regionalist. I like playing the Pac-10 in January. I like the little off rivalries. I, I I enjoyed having four national champions in 1990 or whatever. Um, having one national champion, have, having a national sport. I guess I'll sign up for it and, and enjoy it. But to your point, that's what we have now. And, yeah. and it needs to be spread out a little bit. I mean, I, it could even be spread out as it has been in the SEC, but it, that was really just urban, Saban, and then the off Auburn thing. Less Miles shows up. It You, you want to have some sort of variety. I would like to see, I mean, I want Ohio State to win it every year, but it would be, you know, where's Southern Cal been in all this? Yeah. Um, that that's, that's another, like, Michigan type of decline that I think is impacting the sport as a whole. Um Notre Dame for a while, same thing, although I still think their return is overstated. You want to start seeing more uh, of that kind of, I don't know, spread diversity, but Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama as three quarters of the playoff. You just kind of go, I don't know where all those places are. <laughs> all right, Bill. Um, do we have anything left for our guests before we let them leave and uh, probably go drink bourbon? <laughs> um, I haven't asked how the Cavs game is going. I don't know if I should. I, I already switched it to Big Ten Network. <laughs> um, well, the big thing, you know, later this spring, uh, we are going to do an all-Eastern Michigan podcast just to prove that we can. Um, you got any advice for us as we dive into all things Ypsilanti? You're going to go to Ipsy. So, so Well, I don't know if we're, we're going. We're, we're, I, we're, I, sure, we're I, trying I to figure out if we're going to go. We're definitely doing the podcast. The... Um, all right. Well, so you know, Ypsi is basically like you—it's like a par five to Ann Arbor. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, my favorite thing about Ypsi, about Eastern Michigan is that their big football sign is of Eastern Michigan playing Ohio State. So there's like a big sign of 
Ohio State football players that close to Ann Arbor, like promoting a football <laughs> program. I, it just blows my mind that the MAC is the the has the most parity of any conference. They all have the same resources, and they're recruiting from the same small pool of talent. Um, and Eastern Michigan is never even decent. Like Kent State was good for a couple of years, and and East and, and EMU just can never even be mediocre. No, it's it's well, everyone has their that's their Purdue. If there was relegation, <laughs> Purdue would be in the MAC now. The the MAC is the most entertaining football, I, I think. Uh, going because you can watch it all week. Yeah. The Wake Forest of the Mitten, Eastern Michigan. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, now that we've depressed the hell out of everyone, we'd like to thank our first official guest to the podcast. They play nobody. Hopefully, this is all audible, and um, uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely have Ramsey back on again because he knows a lot about a program that may or may not have some impact on seasons to come. We're talking about uh, Eastern Michigan, still, right? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> of course. <laughs>